Good morning. My name is Todd Robinson. I'm the assistant pastor to youth ministry here at First Presbyterian Church, and it's a joy that I get to bring you God's Word this morning. And this morning, we will actually be looking in the Gospel of Mark, starting in chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 1 to 20, Mark 4, verses 1 to 20. Presumably, it's a rather familiar one. It's the parable of the sower. Uh, But even though it is familiar, we need the Lord's help for us to understand it. So let's pray before we read his word. Dear Heavenly Father, we we thank you for yet another Sabbath day, that we get to remember how great your grace is. And Lord, I pray in, in these next few minutes that you would send your spirit to illuminate your word to us, that we would see it what it is, that it is powerful, that it is true, and that it's life-giving. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He was teaching them many things in parables, And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. He said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is still in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown when they hear. Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have not root themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those who were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Thus ends the reading of God's word. So how can two people hear the same thing but come to two different conclusions. I'm signed up for this email service where each day 
Uh, each morning they send me an email of the, the big thing that happened the day prior. And the unique thing is, on the left, it gives me what the left think of that thing, and the right, uh, what the right think about that. And it's, I've noticed a pattern that usually the left and right are pretty opposite on whatever happened the day before. Whatever happened the day before, one side thought it was great, the other side thought it was terrible, and it just goes back and forth. But that's the interesting thing. It's not like they're looking at something different. They're looking at the same thing, but they're coming to these different conclusions. And, you know, that's because you know, foundational beliefs, uh, if you will, give us a lens into how which we interpret this world. And so that's how they get different responses. They have, they have different foundational beliefs. And this passage is addressing a, a similar concern that uh, is troubling the disciples. And that's the question of why are people rejecting Jesus? You know, don't they see the miracles that he's doing? Don't they know that this is the Messiah that they've been waiting for? Why are they rejecting Jesus? And how can one person hear it and believe, and yet someone else hear the same message and yet reject it? Well, Jesus addresses those concerns with the parable of the sower. You know, have you ever wondered why Jesus speaks in parables? Uh, you know, in verse 13, what we see is that Jesus says that if you, if you cannot understand this parable, the parable of the sower, how can you understand any of the parables? You know, oftentimes this parable is called the parable of parables. You know, ironically, in order to explain why he uses parables, Jesus used a parable. So he's using a parable to explain why he uses a parable. So why does Jesus speak in parables? Jesus speaks in parables to both conceal and reveal the kingdom of God. And those are the two points where how we're going to explore this text. Uh, the kingdom of God is self-concealed and Savior revealed. So first, uh, the kingdom of God is self-concealed. Now this, this passage initially, when you first read it, kind of gives the impression that Jesus is kind of actively uh, withholding the gospel from outsiders. But we know that's not the case. Uh, if you don't believe me, you can go to the very next passage in verse 22, where Jesus says, uh, For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. So it's, so it's not Jesus who is actively concealing the kingdom of God. That's not why, not why people are rejecting him. So what is it? So it's not that Jesus is concealing the kingdom of God from the outsiders. It's actually that the outsiders are concealing themselves from him. Jesus is not rejecting them. They're rejecting Jesus, and that's why they can't see the kingdom of God. So how do we know that that's the case? Well, the key to finding that answer is to um, look in this interesting uh, uh, set of verses in, in verses 10 to 13. It's this little aside kind of wedged in uh, the parable of the sower. You know, you get the parable, and then you have the explanation, but in between you get this little interesting, you know, when Jesus was alone and the twelve asked him, hey, why do you speak in parables? You get this little interesting uh, insight into why Jesus speaks in parables in this way. And interestingly, uh, how he explains it, he actually quotes Isaiah. That's where that passage is from in verse 12. It's from Isaiah 6. Now, New Testament writers 
did not quote the Old Testament just to sound smart. Uh, they did it because they, they want you to see a connection between what was happening in the Old Testament days and what's happening to them today. So essentially what Jesus is saying is like, if you want to understand why I do parables, you first actually need to understand uh, Isaiah and Isaiah's ministry. So to quickly summarize uh, Isaiah's ministry, uh, particularly in chapter 6, Isaiah is graciously redeemed uh, and called to be a prophet uh, in Isaiah chapter 6. And the Lord gives him both a message and a goal of his ministry. And the message is to convict the Israelites uh, of their rebellion and their surface-level allegiance to God with the goal of actually confirming their hard hearts to a point where they are actually unable to perceive God's warning to turn and be healed. Now, the the Jews in Isaiah's day believed that they were righteous due to their lineage, that they were born Jews, and also their their nominal obedience to God. You know, in other words, they were cultural Jews. And because of that, they were like, well, we're Jews, so we're fine. Um, God won't do anything to us. They've They've actually turned from God to those other gods around them, and it actually dulled their heart, not immediately, but slowly. And so Isaiah's ministry to them is, to paraphrase, uh, is this. Isaiah is called to say to them, you hear God's words, but you don't really believe. You see God's faithfulness in the way that he is providing for you, not only day in, day out, but the history of Israel in the miracles that came for you to have the land that you have, you see God's faithfulness, but you don't really understand. That's the message that Isaiah was called to give to the Israelites in his day, and he faced a lot of resistance with that message, as you can imagine. Uh, And he was to give that message until they were in exile. And the big idea from that is that the Israelites' continual spiritual deafness and blindness led to a judicial blindness and deafness from the Lord. As one commentator puts it, it's not the prophet that causes the heart of the people to become dull, but the prophet predicts that the people will not perceive because their hearts have already become dull. In other words, Isaiah's message is not to cause their hearts to become dull, but merely to confirm their already dull hearts. Now, like Isaiah, Jesus is dealing with people who consider themselves righteous, yet are spiritually deaf and blind. And these people aren't who you would expect to be these spiritually blind and deaf people. They're actually Jesus' own family and the religious leaders. We see that in chapter 3 of Mark. Uh, after Jesus performs a miracle, uh, Jesus' family like pulls him aside and is like, hey, are you out of your mind? you got to believe this is... Jesus' own family, they've seen him grow up. Not only his, not his, not only his family, but, but the scribes from Jerusalem, is what it says in chapter 3, these people who have come to uh, investigate Jesus. Uh, they see a miracle that Jesus performs, and they say that he is possessed by Beelzebul, which is understood as, as Satan. Now think about that for a second. Jesus. The Son of God performs a miracle in front of them through the Spirit, and their conclusion is that he's actually possessed by Satan. Like, think about that for a second. And now while Jesus does offer a rebuke for his family, 
Um, the scribes, it's a point of no return for Jesus, and that's where you get that, that verse that those who blaspheme uh, the Spirit have committed an eternal sin and will never have forgiveness. The scribes literally were seeing the work of the Spirit and calling it Satan. So therefore, Isaiah's prediction is as true in his day as it was in Jesus' day, that, that their hearts are so dull that they cannot perceive the kingdom of God, even if it's right in front of them, which it was. You know, we read this in Mark 1, that the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, he meant himself. That's what Jesus was talking about in verse 1. Like, the kingdom of God is right in front of you, and you can't see it. Now, have you ever wished you could go back in time and, like, see Jesus do all these miracles and all these works and say all these things and heal all these people? Like, that would be so much easier to believe, wouldn't it? If we could just go back in time and see all these things. Well, well apparently not, because there were people who saw Jesus, heard his words, saw the miracles, and still didn't believe. They called him out of his mind. They said he was possessed by Satan. So what does that tell us? That means when it comes to the kingdom of God and entrance into the kingdom of God, seeing doesn't mean believing. There's, a, there's actually something deeper going on here. Uh, and it goes to the very, very core of us. It goes to our heart. And Jesus is saying in the, the parable of the sower that the reason why people reject him is not because of the message, and it's not because of the messenger, but it's actually the condition of our hearts. It's the condition of our hearts. Now, if you look at the parable, the seed's the same every time. Uh, but it's the different soils that yield different results. Jesus' message, likewise, is the same every time. But it's the different conditions of our hearts that yield those different results. So that somewhat begs the question, how do you know what soil you are? Well, based on this parable, those who bear fruit are of the good soil. Uh, the other three soils don't produce fruit, and they kind of all stop at different stages. Uh, you know, the first one never takes root. The second one takes root, but not deep enough, so it withers. And the third one takes root, but is choked out by the world. None of them produced fruit with the seed that they were given. And a farmer only cares about the plant that produces fruit or not, right? You know, surviving isn't merely enough. Uh, you want a plant that yields fruit. Now, in Super Bowl 42, there were two teams that played each other. One was the New England Patriots. They were undefeated. They had shattered records. A lot of people thought they were going to be the second undefeated team in NFL history. Uh, but they were playing a team called the New York Giants, who squeaked into the playoffs, barely made it, somehow fumbled their way into the Super Bowl. And people pretty much wrote this Super Bowl off. This was not going to be a very good Super Bowl. The Patriots are going to run away with it because they're clearly the better team. Well, for those who watched it, uh, you were quite surprised that the New York Giants actually won the game uh, in, a, in a surprising upset, uh, giving the Patriots their first loss of the season, and then winning the Super Bowl. Now, it's undeniable that at the end of the season, the Patriots had a better record than the Giants. And they were, you could even still argue that they were a better team nine days out of ten. But they didn't win the game that mattered most. You know, having that undefeated season, breaking those records, if you ask the players on the New England Patriots, wasn't enough. 
Winning that championship is all that matters. That's the, the bearing the fruit of an NFL season. You want to win that Super Bowl. And in a similar way, merely, merely surviving in Christian circles is not enough for us. There, there, there must be fruit. We must bear fruit. So in a way, this parable ought to be a warning to all of you. You know, coming to church is a great thing. Very glad that y'all are here. But coming to church doesn't save you. The, the mere act of coming does not save you. Uh, you know, looking the part of the Christian, listening to the right radio stations, uh, dressing a certain way, talking a certain way is great. Glad you're doing that. That also is not enough to save you. Going to enough Bible studies isn't going to be enough to save you. There, there, there must be spiritual fruit, which if we think of the fruit of the Spirit that we see in Galatians, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If, if you were to have someone who knew you ask you some character qualities of you, would any of those words pop up? Would any of those words pop up? It's not enough for us just to say that we're Christian. Uh, it has to be a way of life of us. It has to start from our hearts to produce and bear that fruit. So in order to produce that fruit, we have to be in good soil. But that's, actually, that's actually the problem of this entire parable. Because we know we're all born dead in our trespasses and sins, every one of us. And without exception, at one point, we were all one of those three soils that rejected Jesus. There's no exception. We were all a part of that. So how does someone go from a soil that does not produce fruit to one that does? Well, that leads us to the second point, uh, that the kingdom of God is Savior revealed. So there's one soil that produces fruit, and it's called the good soil. And in verse 8, you see that three seeds produce fruit in the good soil at, at varying yields. We see 30 and 60 and 100 fold. Now, I did some research into this, and the modern, in our modern day yield of wheat is eightfold. And what that means is, for every thousand pounds of wheat seed that they plant, they're hoping to get 8,000 pounds of wheat product. So that's eightfold. And that's with all our modern technology, you know, everything that goes into you know, growing wheat is eightfold. So I, I say that as kind of an encouragement that the lowest yield, 30-fold, is actually miraculous. It's spectacular, like 30-fold. Like, that's the power of God at work within you when you bear fruit. Um, it's, it's beyond uh, more than you could ask or imagine. Uh, and so Jesus tells us in verse 20 that the good soil are people who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Now, all the soils hear the word. But only the good soil is the one that accepts it. So how can a dead heart accept the word of God? The short answer is it can't on its own. Uh, you know, your heart can't cleanse itself. It needs, it needs an outside actor, if you will, to work on it. Now, in my, I've only been here for a few months, but I came from uh, Mississippi. 
and I had a house there, and it was like a housewarming gift. Uh, a friend of mine gave me three uh, tree saplings to plant in our backyard, and you know, those poor tree saplings, but, and I didn't really know what I was doing. It was the first house I ever had, and so, you know, landscaping was new to me, but I was like, all right, let's go for it. And so I plant these three trees kind of in different spots around the yard. And interestingly, they had three different results. One really never took root. It never really grew. It probably didn't help. I ran over it with a lawnmower once. You know, it just blended in with the grass. And uh, so that one really didn't make it. And, but then there was this other one that kind of made it, but it was growing very, very slow and would wither and would come back and uh, progress was very slow with that one. And, but there was this third one that I just planted, I put it in soil and it just took off. So I focused on that one to say I was, I was good at landscaping. Um, you know, one for three, that's good in baseball. Um, but one thing I learned about taking care of just those, those little trees, uh, is that they weren't gonna pull their own weeds. If there was weeds growing around them, I had to pull them. Likewise, they're not gonna water themselves. Like if it wasn't raining, I had to go out there and water them. And if I didn't do that, the plants would die. I had to give them good soil in order to live. And your heart is the same way. You, you like the scribes, like, those, like the people sitting next to you, uh, we were not born as good soil. Uh, we were born rejecting Jesus. And it was Jesus who, in that, graciously entered into your heart. And he pulled out those thorns, and he pulled out all the things that um, you see as ugly or shameful about you. He pulled them all out, and he made them into a crown. And he put them on his head as he was crucified for your sake. So what's the great secret of the kingdom of God, it's the cross. The cross is that wonderful mystery that, that the redemption of God's people was not like what the Israelites thought, which it was like a political or military conquest, but it was actually through a lowly, uninspiring death on a tree. That's how you got into the kingdom of God. The entrance in the kingdom of God was not through our works. It wasn't through trying hard enough. It wasn't through just being better. It was actually from resting into what Christ has already done for you, uh, that gift of salvation, that in order for you to live, Jesus had to die. That's the great mystery of the kingdom of God. It's the cross, and how does your dead heart accept that? It accepts it by the Savior revealing and joining himself to you through the Spirit. The Spirit takes what Jesus has accomplished on the cross and applies it to you. And the Spirit replaces that heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh so that when you are exposed to the Word, you have good soil to accept it and therefore to bear fruit. Now, there's no such thing as a neutral response to Jesus. You will either accept him or reject him. Those are the, the two choices. You will either conceal yourself from Christ or accept 
his revelation of himself. So with that in mind, please join me in prayer that we pray that God would give us those eyes to see, those ears to hear, those hearts soften, to see him, to turn and to have life and life everlasting. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we we marvel at the amazing grace that you would save wretches like us, that while we were still sinners, you died for us. Lord, that you would take our hearts of stone and make them into hearts of flesh, so that when we are exposed to your word, we would accept it with joy and bear fruit. Lord, I pray all of us uh, in this room this morning would consider this parable, that we would see the warnings within it. Lord, that we are not just going through the motions of being a Christian, but Lord, that we would ask that you would continue to make our hearts uh, good soil so that we, would, um, that we would live for you. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.